Man. Love that song, don't you? God, I mean, maybe seated. Um, I wanted to start off tonight just by asking a question. How many people um, here tonight, by show of hands, have ever traveled outside of the United States? You've traveled? Okay, wow, okay. Okay, by the way, Cancun doesn't count because you don't remember. You don't remember that trip, and I just know because this is second chance, all right? I've, uh, I've got to do a good bit of traveling. Um, I've been to Australia a couple times, uh, been to Africa a couple times, Europe. Uh, I, went to, um, I went to Germany. You can learn a lot when you travel. It's true about Germany. When I went to Germany, I figured out why we won two world wars against those guys. It's really simple. It, they start drinking beer. And when I say beer, I'm, ta- I'm not talking sippy cups. I'm talking like humongous glasses of beer at about 10 in the morning. The kids even. And they're drinking this beer. So by... Two o'clock, um, they're speaking cursive and marching backwards. So we just waited till afternoon and attacked, and that's how we defeated the Germans. Anyway, I, I love to travel. I love to go new places. I love to see new things. But my favorite place in the world to go, um, not, there's not even a close second, is Israel. Uh, if you've ever heard me preach, I, I talk about, I've been to Israel 16 times. And every single time, it's been absolutely amazing, which when all of this started taking place, it, it absolutely moved my heart in an incredible way. And I was like, I've got to talk about this. And it's the first time I think we've ever put a series on pause to address something like this. I want to, I want to show you some pictures. I want to show you some pictures that I took. Now I have these pictures on my phone. These are not from the internets or anything like that. These are pictures I have on my phone from Israel, and because this is a five o'clock, I'm gonna take just a, like a minute or two extra and explain some of the stuff that you're gonna see because when I saw it, it blew my mind. Going to Israel makes the Bible, reading the Bible go from black and white to color. It's unbelievable. This was, when I first got there in May of 2011, this is the picture I took. It had a little customs area, welcome to Israel. And this guy right here, this is Benjamin. Benjamin is a tour guide. His life has been so tough. Actually, I don't even know who that is. He was just in the way. I just took the picture, but I just want to see if you're paying attention. All right, that's good. I have no idea who that guy is, but I'm sure he's happy. All right, this next picture, this next picture is the Mount. This is the Temple Mount. This is the Dome of the Rock, but I was standing on the Mount of Olives when I took this picture. Now, the Mount of Olives is cool. First of all, no olives on the Mount of Olives. It was a surprise to me the first time I went. But the Mount of Olives... It's incredible because that's where Jesus ascended into heaven. And when he comes back, that's where he's going he's gonna to put his feet on the mount. So you're standing on the Mount of Olives going, this is cool. And then you're looking over Jerusalem going, man, that's cool. This right here, um, if you can see these little two domes together, this is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is where um, a lot of people believe that th- this would have been outside the city when Jesus was on earth. And this is where a lot of people believe that Jesus was actually crucified buried and, and rose again. Um, that, that's just kind of a cool picture. This next picture, okay, so if you go to Israel, you will have a God moment at some point on the trip. This was my first God moment ever in Israel. Let me, let me, little backstory. If you're looking at this picture, if you go all the way up on like th- this side, this was where the temple would have been. This, the temple would have been up higher and over this way. Now, this pile of rocks right here, in Matthew 24, the, the disciples and Jesus are walking out of Jerusalem, and the disciples go, look at these incredible, look at, look, look at these rocks, look at this stone, look at this temple. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, 
There's coming a day when not one rock will, will stand, every rock in this temple will be thrown over and cast aside and basically piled in piles of rubble. And then when archaeologists went in and dug, they found this pile of rocks, which these, these stones were in the temple that was built in 515 BC. And that just hit me. I had a God moment because I sat down and I just said, God's word is true. Like God's going to do what he said. I, I look at this picture often. It, it encourages me a lot. There's this picture. It's not really um, clear, but this is also from the Mount of Olives. So if you're looking this way, you're looking at Jerusalem. If you look this way, you see this. Now, you see this hill right here and this hill right here. Do you see where it looks like this mountain was like cut in two? Does it, y'all see that? Yes or no? Talk to me tonight, five o'clock. All right. So th- it looks like this was cut in two. And the reason it looks that way is because it was. Herod wanted to build his fortress on this mountain, but on this mountain, he could not see Jerusalem. So Herod literally moved a mountain from here to here. This is where a site is known called the Herodian. Herod moved a mountain from here to here. There's a passage in the Bible when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, by the way, And he told his disciples, if you have enough faith, I tell you that you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. Don't miss this. He said, Herod moved a mountain from here to here, but you will be able to move the mountain into the sea if you had faith. In other words, you can do greater things than Herod, which is why I've always thought that the church should have a a much bigger vision than Apple or Google or Microsoft because Jesus said they can move it from here to here, but we can move it to the sea. That's good, isn't it? I know it's good. I felt felt that. Um, This is Karis getting baptized in the Jordan River. This is right after she got baptized. And um, I kind of felt bad for her because she got baptized in the Jordan River. And then the first time she partook of communion, we were at the garden tomb. And I said, baby, I don't know what else we can, I have no idea. Maybe we'll get back in Anderson, you can walk on Lake Hartwell because I, I don't know where we go from here. I don't know where we go from here, but um, that was cool. And then when you're in Israel and you stop at a gas station, you should absolutely ride a camel because why not? I mean, save a cowboy, ride a camel. I don't, anyway, I don't, I, I just, I just, they were like, you want to ride a camel? I was like, of course I want to. And then last but not least, I love the attention to detail. Israelis care about people that even care about their children. So much so, I snapped, this was my first trip. They want children to know how to pee properly. This is in the boys' bathroom and it's like, okay, yeah, there you go. And if you do that, you won't get it on the seat. Anyway, I love Israel. And I want to be very clear before we go any further. I believe Israel is God's land, and I believe the Jewish people are God's people. I do not believe, I I do not buy into replacement theology. When God said, I will bless and protect the Jews, he meant he will bless and protect the Jews. Now, according to Romans 11, we get grafted in, and that's kind of cool because we get all the benefits anyway. But I was bothered a couple weeks ago when a missile attack was launched by Hamas on Israel. This is the rockets being launched and the Iron Dome being put into effect. Now, because I've been there a lot, I've actually met with government leaders and talked about 
the political situation. And it's fascinating because um, I even have the Jerusalem Post app on my phone. I'm that nerdy. I'm into, I, I read everything. And what will happen if you pay attention to the news is about once a month, you got Hamas, which is a terrorist organization in the south. You got Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization in the north. And one of, the, one of them will fire some missiles over into Israel. They'll blow something up. Israel will retaliate with an airstrike and blow something up. And then Hamas or Hezbollah will take that image to the United Nations and say, look what Israel did to us. Israel as a nation has been condemned more in the United Nations more than any other nation in the world. And so when I first heard that Hamas had launched some missiles, I was like, well, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, we would call this a bad day. They would call that Thursday. I mean, it just, it just happens. But then when I heard there were over a thousand missiles, I started like many of you paying attention to the news because I'm like, that's, that's not normal. And as the day progressed, they were showing images within the next 48 hours that, listen, I wouldn't, I would not show these images in this church. I've seen them though. And they, they were the images that Hamas uploaded. I heard somebody say the other day, and it was true. They said, at least the Nazis tried to hide what they did to the Jews. They were going into villages, raping women, murder, setting babies on fire and burning them alive in front of their parents. Killed over a thousand people. This, this was Israel's 9-11. Now, a life is a life, and I don't really love to do things like this, but proportionally, the number of Jews killed, it would be like, 35,000 Americans dying in a terrorist attack. And I love how everybody's telling Israel, show restraint, show restraint. Do you remember how we felt after 9-11? Show restraint, let me show you the middle finger. That's what I would like, that, that's, that was our attitude, correct? Okay, I'm preaching. I just wanna make sure you're listening. So, so as the day went on, I was just, I was, I was bothered by this. And then, I started seeing pro-Palestinian rallies happening where people were like, we must stand up for Palestine. They have a right to, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you want land, that's one thing. But when you murder over a thousand people, and by the way, isn't it funny how the media doesn't talk about this? Um, Over a thousand people were murdered, including 20 Americans, and their life isn't more valuable. I'm just saying, nobody said anything about it. And then 200 hostages taken to over 20 of those being Americans. I I don't know about you, but like, don't we have somebody that can kick some butt and take some names and go in there and get our our men and women out? I'm just, I just wanted to throw that out there. So I've been so bothered by this. And the other thing that was bothering me and still bothers me is the misinformation that are incredible incredibly awesome, wonderful fake news media loves to perpetuate out. So you've heard this battle is over land. It's not over land. Let me prove it to you. Give me just a minute to set it up historically. I promise you, I will not bore you with a long history lesson, but I love history and I think this will help everybody get to an even place of understanding. We good? All right. We good? 
Okay, good. I'm just making sure. In the year 1400 BC, Joshua led the Israelites into the land and they took it. This was when they marched around Jericho and the city fell down, Rahab, you know, and all that stuff. That was around 1400 BC. And then in about 1000 BC, King David established the, the um, King David's dynasty. The David, the guy that beat Goliath with a slingshot, that, that, that David. He had a son named Solomon. In 957, I believe, Solomon built the first temple in 957. Now, after that, the Israelites kind of did this thing where they would turn to God, turn away from God, turn to God, turn, and they turned away from God, and eventually um, Assyria invaded the northern part. Babylon invaded the southern part. They destroyed the temple. They were in exile for a while, but then they came back to the land, and in 515, they built the second temple. You can see that story if you're reading through the Old Testament. You can see it like Ezra and Nehemiah. They kind of hold hands together. So 515, the second temple was built. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And this is kind of fascinating because Jesus, when he was on his way to the cross, um, there's one gospel where he's on his way to the cross and some women are crying for him. And he, he paused and he said, don't cry for me. He said, weep for you and weep for your children. And then he prophesied what was going to happen to them. He prophesied the Roman destruction, which is interesting because did you know that around 25% of the Bible is prophecy? Like true prophecy? Like this stuff came true. It's not like Nostradamus going, one day there will be a great war. Thank you, Captain Obvious. There are human beings on the planet. There will be a great war. You're right. But then in 136 AD, this is key. The Barkova Revolt. Now, most people don't know about the Barkova Revolt, and there was, there's no reason to really know about it other than this revolt was so bad, and the Romans almost lost Israel to, to the Jewish people. They were finally able to come in. They put down this revolt, and the Roman leader that led the charge against the Jews asked the question, who historically has been their greatest enemy, their greatest threat. And he was told the Philistines. And so we get the word Palestine from the Philistines, who, by the way, were located in Gaza. It's kind of funny, isn't it, how the Bible, the Bible's a book about what happened. No, the Bible's a book about what's happening the reason I bring this up is there is no reference anywhere in any ancient document to Palestine at all until after 136 AD. So when people say historically the land belongs to the Palestinians, there wasn't even a thing called Palestinians until 136 AD. And then, this is where it gets fun. In 610 AD, Muhammad established Islam. Now, contrary to what you have heard, Islam is not a peaceful religion. They, they do not teach peace like we think of peace. They have a version of peace. They do want peace, but according to them, peace is when we all submit to live under Sharia law. Now, Sharia law is going, ladies, it's going to set you back a little bit. The reason why is because under Sharia law, women have to stay covered. Their faces have to stay covered at all times. Under Sharia law, in a country with strict Sharia law, women cannot have a driver's license or drive a car. Which, I mean, I mean, there's benefits and everything, right? But I'm just, I'm... <laughs> back to the story. 
Muhammad established Islam. Now, this is for the people that, that say all religions are basically the same. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because Muhammad claims that an angel appeared to him in a cave and gave him the revelation that we now know as the Quran. So Muhammad said an angel showed up and gave me this revelation and he wrote it down and it's the Quran. Now the problem with the Quran is it contradicts scripture. It, for example, the Quran says that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Now that part is true. But when it came to choosing one to be the child of the promise, that Abraham chose Ishmael, not Isaac. Now that contradicts scripture. The Quran teaches that there was a man named Jesus, but he was not the son of God. He did not die on the cross. He did not rise from the dead. He did not pay for our sins. And he's not coming back one day. Now that is not the gospel. That is anti-gospel. So let me, let, me, let me push this a little bit further. I don't have a problem believing that an angel appeared to Muhammad in a cave and gave him a gospel that was a false gospel because demons are fallen angels. Same thing with Mormonism. Joseph Smith said an angel named Moroni, which I doubt that right there, but says an angel appeared to him, gave him all his stuff, Pastor Pete, do you really think demons would show up and mislead people? <laughs> Look at what Paul said in Galatians. Now, this is, this is the Apostle Paul. This isn't Pastor P. This is the Apostle Paul. He's way above my pay grade, all right? This is what he said. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news, also known as gospel, than the one we preach to you. In other words, if an angel shows up, and preaches that Jesus is not the son of God, let that angel be cursed. And the reason he could say that because that angel is cursed because that angel is actually a demon. Now there's a lot, but by the way, the Palestinians that are claiming they have a right to, to the land, they show up 2,000 years after the Israelites were in the land. So if you're gonna make an argument from a historical point of view, there's no leg to stand on. However, However, in 1947, now, a lot of people don't know this. I did not know this until my 14th trip to Israel. It took me 14 times, okay? And I was studying with a guy. It was, it was kind of like a private study trip. And in 1947, the United Nations proposed a two-state solution. Have you heard that language somewhere? The Palestinians are saying, we want a state in Israel wants a state. There needs to be a two-state solution. Have we heard this, yes or no? Okay, good, good, good. That's, this is what was proposed in 1947 by the United Nations. They said, Israel gets the blue part. And some of y'all are like, well, that's a lot of blue, Pastor P, especially down here, that's a bunch of blue. That's the desert. It's the desert. It's basically New Mexico. And some, somebody might be here tonight from New Mexico. I'm from New Mexico. Exactly. You're here because you didn't want to be in New Mexico. All right. So, so that, would be, that would be the Jewish part. The pink would be the, the Palestinian state. And, and Jerusalem right here, this would be governed by like an international council. Well, the Jewish people accepted this. And the Palestinian people, encouraged by all the Muslim countries around them, rejected it. 
So on May 14, 1948, the greatest prophecy in Scripture next to the resurrection of Jesus Christ came true. Israel became a nation on May 14, 1948. And Isaiah, hundreds of years before, wrote, who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who has ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever came, came forth in a mere moment? This is fascinating. Isaiah said, Israel is going to re be reborn as a nation. And it happened in 1948. And they were immediately attacked by all the surrounding Muslim countries. Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, with support from Iraq. And it was, it was insane. The, Israelite, the, the, the people of Israel, the Jews, they didn't have tanks. They didn't have airplanes. They barely had weapons and ammunition, yet they fought that war in 1948 and won. It was almost like God was doing exactly what he said he would do, that once that nation is reformed, it will never be defeated again. It, it just reminds me of the, the, the power of God. So in that war, there were around 800,000 Palestinians that were displaced from their home. Also, as a part of that war, there were 800,000 Jewish people across Arab countries that were kicked out of Arab countries. Israel accepted all 800,000 people, but none of the Muslim countries accepted any of the Palestinian people. They put them in refugee camps and played the victim card to this day because till this day, the United Nations gives the Palestinian refugee, refugee camps, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And just so you know, I forgot to say this this morning, just so you know, there is what they call a pay for slay program in, in Palestinian areas. If you kill a Jewish family or you kill Jewish people and you die doing it or you get put in prison, Hamas or Hezbollah, whoever you do it for, will pay your family up to $3,000 a month for just killing people. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. You, you, fact check me on that. That's fine. You can do it all day. Um, in 2005, Israel withdraws from the Gaza Strip, this, this area that's being disputed right now. They literally took their soldiers in, and if you were Jewish, Jewish soldiers would come to your house and tell you by gunpoint, You've got to leave. They gave it to the Palestinians and they said, this area of land is yours. Do with it what you will. Now, it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. The possibilities were limitless. But in 2006, Hamas is elected to govern the Gaza Strip. And they said they were going to do elections every four years. Now, they haven't done one since 2006, but at least they said they would. Now, here's the thing you, we've got to understand about Hamas. In Hamas's founding documents, and you can go Google these things, they're out there. They have as a stated goal and mission to eradicate the world of Jewish people, to literally kill every Jewish person on the planet. Now you answer this question. How can there be a Palestinian state and a Jewish state right next to each other 
if people in this state want to kill everybody in this state. I was thinking about it. I was like, I got, a, I got a cool neighborhood. My neighborhood's fun. We got like one of those little neighborhood pools so I don't have to keep up with it and I just go. And we, got, we got bougie dogs in my neighborhood. We got golden doodles and all the, all the bougie things and it's nice. But if my neighbor came and knocked on my door and said, I just want you to know that it's my, it's my desire in life to kill you and your family, there's gonna be a problem in my neighborhood. Think about that as a, and this is what bothers me so bad. I've seen protesters chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Have you heard this? They have no idea what they're saying. Maybe they do. I don't think they do. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free was a chant started in 1948 during the first Israel war. And their goal, they're saying, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, we're going to kill every Jewish person. It's sick, it's twisted, it's demonic. Just like the religion of Islam. Now, don't accuse me of Islamophobia because I'm not, listen, I don't hate anybody. I literally don't hate, I had to do my, I had to do a heart check before I preached this message. I don't hate anybody. I don't, but I do love you enough to tell you the truth that we've been fed a, bunch of BS by our media. There is nothing peaceful and loving about an organization that in their founding documents has, we want to kill another race of people. Hey, take Jew out of it and put any other race in there and we would have riots in the street. But as long as it's Jewish people, it, it almost seems like there's something spiritual going on, doesn't it? Huh. The apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, um, that we, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's kind of cool how spiritual ties in. And let me show you this, because this blew my mind. The word Hamas in, in Arabic means zeal or passion. I did not know until this week that Hamas actually appears in the Hebrew scriptures, in the original Hebrew scriptures. I want to show you the first reference to Hamas. This blew my mind. Genesis 6, when the flood is getting ready to come to the earth, Watch this. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. This word violence in Hebrew is Hamas. You could almost read this verse that the earth was possessed with violence. Y'all, this is not a war against a people. It's a war against a spirit that's been around for a really long time. Now, I almost went down the, I, I'm not going to do it. So, so stay with me for just a second. Stay with me. This is, this is where we get into like, well, how does all this tie into the end times? Because Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And you're right. In fact, I'll show you the quote. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son himself, but only the father knows. Jesus said, nobody knows. In other words, when people start setting dates, and I've seen people do this and you have too, don't believe them. In fact, one of the most popular, I'm looking around the room tonight, and there's some people in this room that will remember this. I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying you'll remember this because I remember this. In 1988, there was a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988 by our boy Edgar Wisnett. Poor guy. Couldn't even say his name to kindergarten. But anyway, why the, why the rapture will, not, will happen in 1988? And people bought this stuff. 
because he was a mathematician. He had figured all this stuff out. I have a friend that was a pastor at the time of a really small church. In fact, the church was so small, he's the one that answered the phone. And on the date that Mr. Wisnett predicted that Jesus was to come back, he said the phone was ringing off the hook all day long. And he would pick up the phone and answer it. And the person on the other end would be like, oh, thank God, pastor, you're there. If you're still here, that means the rapture hadn't happened. And I... I started laughing until I started thinking about our church. If you call our church and I answer the phone, you're like, crap, we're screwed. We're, and I mean, we're... <laughs> so I'm, I'm not trying to tell you that, that there's a certain date. And beware of people that set dates. However, Jesus, people often quote this and they, well, Jesus said we wouldn't know the time and date. And you're right, but he did say we would know the season. I want to show you this. Watch what Jesus said. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. Most scholars and theologians agree that this right here is a reference to Israel being born as a nation again. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you'll know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. There's another passage of scripture that says when Israel is formed as a nation that that generation will not pass away before they see the kingdom of God appear. A generation in the scripture is 80 years and Israel just celebrated their 75th birthday as a nation. Huh. Anyway, keep going. In Ezekiel 37... There's the story of the valley of the dry bones and the dry bones come together. That's the story once again of Israel being formed as a nation. And the next event on the prophetic calendar is found in Ezekiel 38. This is another message that comes to me from the Lord. This is in Ezekiel. Um, Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against them. Now, if you're reading that, you're like, okay, I don't know where Gog and Magog is. And that's fine because I'm a preacher. I'm the one that's supposed to know. If you stand in Israel and you look directly north, which is where Gog and Magog was, this is now known as the nation of Russia, which by the way, side note is 20% Muslim and nobody's talking about that, but that's just side note. So the nation of Russia. So prophesy against Russia. Now watch this because this is, this is fascinating. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. I love that, the sovereign Lord. Not the apologetic Lord, but this is, God said, God said I'm, I'm sovereign. I'm super, that's why I'm not, I'll get to why I'm not worried later. God, I'm your enemy. Watch this. I will turn you around, watch this, and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army your horses and charioteers and full armor and a great horde armed with shields and swords. So I'll put hooks. I'll put hooks in your mouth. In other words, Russia is going to get drug into a war that they didn't start. Huh. Keep that in mind. Just kind of put that on the shelf right here. We're going to put it back in the, in the mixing bowl in just a second. Verse 5. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. What I'm about to tell you is I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying this could happen. And if what I'm about to describe does not happen, I think it's because God in his mercy is giving somebody a little bit more time to get things right. 
In Israel right now, you have Hezbollah in the north, Hamas in the south. They are both terrorist organizations that want to wipe Israel out, and both of them are funded and supported by Iran. Now, some of y'all are like, well, I don't see Iran anywhere in that text. Well, we wouldn't see it because Iran, when the text was written, did not exist. That entire region, Iran and right, all that area was known as Persia. So, scenario that really could happen. Israel fights Hamas in the south. Hezbollah attacks in the north. Israel has no choice but to take them on and wipe them out as well. If they're fighting a two-front war, Iran has said we will get directly involved in this war. If Iran gets involved in the war, guess who they drag into it because they're allied with them? Russia, who's already in Syria, right next door. Isn't that interesting? How the Bible said it's just right there in the scripture. Now, people have asked me, Pastor P, is there any reference to the United States anywhere in regards to the end times? And I've, I've found some people that say, I'm not saying this is it, I'm saying it's a possibility. I'm saying it's a possibility. Down in verse uh, 13, but Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, do you really think that your armies, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I just want to focus on this right here, Tarshish. Tarshish was an area in the ancient world known for their shipping industry and their really strong navy. Now, Tarshish obviously today does not have a strong navy. In fact, who has the strongest navy in the world right now? Well, it's the United States. And by the way, what did we send to the Mediterranean Sea to help Israel out? Two navy vessels. Isn't that interesting? We've got the strongest Navy in the world right now. I don't know how long that's going to last. It's why we got our generals going to training on the proper pronouns instead of military strategies. I just think that's all messed up. And I think we need to get wokeness out of our military and let our soldiers fight the fight and not worry about. Because I, I don't know a lot about, I don't know a lot about the military, but I'm guessing when you're getting shot at, you're not like, oh my gosh, I need to save space. Like you are gun, talk about getting triggered. Like there's a lot of triggering going on on the battlefield. So, so this is the only possible reference that, that I see in regards to, to the United States. Now, with all this in mind, let's go back and look at what Jesus said in regards to the end times. Because Jesus, now I'm gonna go with what Jesus said, because anybody that predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection and then pulls it off, that's my guy. And there's only been one guy in history of the world that's done it, and his name is Jesus. So we're just going to go with what, I'm a Jesus guy, and so what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 24, this is what Jesus said, and I chose to go with the New King James Version because I love the language of the New King James. This is what Jesus said. This is, here we go. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Here we go, watch this, Jesus said, um, and then many will be offended. Okay. <laughs> he could literally come back. Any, have you ever seen a more offended society than we live in today? You know how to cure people getting offended? I figured it out. It took me some time, but I figured it out. Get a full-time job. No. I'm serious. People that work full time don't have time to get offended. All right? I, and it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day because we were talking about jobs. And we were talking, 
we're talking about challenging jobs. He's like, your job isn't challenging. All you got to do is get up and speak. I'm like, I offend somebody every week. Now, I want to pause real quick and say, sometimes you get offended here and sometimes you'll get convicted. And I want you to know the difference. If I tell you that you're a sinner and unless you give your life to Jesus, you will die in your sins and you'll spend eternity in a place called hell and you feel kind of a way about it, that's not you getting offended. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you and telling you, hey, that's true and you need to do something about that. That's called conviction. And, and I will never apologize for somebody getting convicted. I, I want conviction to happen in this place. I want people to understand. When I tell you that you are not your solution, you are your problem and you need Jesus Christ as your solution, that's not me offending you. That's the Holy Spirit going, hey, that really is you. And I know that because he told me that all week about me. But, I mean, so some of you remember this. Several months ago, I talked about how stupid white people are. Because we are. Y'all, we're dumb. Watch TikTok around tornado season, and there's a tornado coming, and there's some idiot out there with their phone filming it going, look, Thelma, it's getting closer. It's always white people. You don't see black people doing that. You don't see Asian people doing that. You don't see Hispanic people doing that. White people are out there, and then we wonder why they get wiped out in the tornado. Same thing every year. There's some story, tragedy about some family in the mountains, and they stop at this place, and they take pictures, and there's this happy bear. There's Barry the bear, and Barry is happy, and he's, he's always so gentle and nice, and the family gets their picture taken with the bear, and the bear freaks out and mauls the family, and people are like, oh, my gosh, I don't know why he did that, because he's an apex predator that's why he did it he's a freaking bear but it's always white people white people are getting mauled because black people hispanic people they're like we are not going near the bear nope no bear no bear y'all remember the tiktok yeah i want to pet that dog i want to pet that dog that little white girl i'm telling you white people am i right now It's the hardest I've preached since I've been up here. Now, here's what's funny about that. I talked to somebody after the service that day that got offended. And they weren't white. I'm not going to tell you what race or nationality they were, but there was no white in them. None. None. Maybe they can go on Ancestry.com and go way down that family tree and find some, but there was none. I mean, they, they, uh-uh. I'm like, how can, how can you... Get offended at that. Some people wake up looking to get offended. Would you agree? And Jesus said, many will be offended. And then, then he said, and betray one another and will hate one another. Have you ever seen division in our nation and the world like we see today? I mean, it used to be like if two people disagreed, they could sit down and talk about it, right? But now everybody's trying to cancel everybody and yell at everybody and scream at everybody and call names. I've never seen the level of hate in our nation like we have today. People hate and they don't know why they hate. Which, by the way, is a good, it's a good point in the message to just pause and, and check your heart. Because it's easy to talk about other people hating other people. Like Palestinians hating Jews so much that they want to kill them and murder them. But what about the hate in our own heart toward another person? or a group of people. See, we gotta get that in check. 
Okay, good. We'll just keep going. Thank you so much. I got one amen. Everybody else got some phone calling to do after this message. Um, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. This word right here, false prophets. Man, this, this word back in the day meant something. In today's world, it just kind of gets thrown around. I was talking with somebody the other day about Joel Osteen, and I said something about Joel Osteen. They're like, he's a false prophet. I'm like, he's not a false prophet. And they were like, well, have you ever met him? I was like, as a matter of fact, I have. Well, I think he's a false prophet. And I'm like, you think he's a false prophet because there was more people in his bathroom this past Sunday than in your church. That's why you think. So I tell you, we're not friends anymore. But I just, if you don't like somebody, you just call them a false prophet. I got called a false prophet this week. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> and it's, listen, it was fun. I went, I looked at this guy. Don't, don't go look for him because I blocked him and banned him and deleted him and all that. But he was like, I said something this week about the study end times. He goes, you're a false prophet. And I went and looked on his profile and he's a Gamecock fan. So he's angry. <laughs> he's just angry. If you're a Gamecock fan, it's football season. You have no reason to be happy. None. And so, but you've been good for Clemson fans because we don't know how to lose, so we're leaning into you to kind of get us through this, this, this season in our life. And I, I just want to pause, and I won't do this a lot. You can say a lot of things about me, and you can say a lot of things about me that are true, but one of the things you cannot call me is a false prophet because at the end of the day, I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm going to teach the Word of God, and I'm going to teach that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and we need to accept Christ in our life and let him change our lives one step at a time. I won't preach that stuff. But false prophets are happening. There are churches in America that are leading people astray. There are churches in America more and more saying that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. There are churches in America teaching more and more that there is no real place called hell. There are churches that are bringing children on stage that want to have gender mutilation surgery at the age of four, five, six, and seven and blessing them rather than going, no, we can't let this happen, not on our watch. So, and in many cases, I'll just tell you this, in many cases, people didn't leave the church, the church left them. Which takes us to the next thing that Jesus said. He said, he said, and become, and, and because lawlessness will abound, huh, lawlessness abounding. Kind of like defund the police. Kind of like, I don't know, let's say hypothetically there were businesses in our country that were pulling out of big cities because they couldn't afford to stay open because of the shoplifting that was taking place and the local officials would not prosecute the people actually committing crime. We're seeing that happen in big cities in America today. Lawlessness is increasing at an alarming rate. And then he said, and then he said, and the love of many will grow cold. Now this got me. This got me because I started thinking about, and give me a second because I will tie it in. I started thinking about our open southern border. Please don't hit me. After the service with Pastor P, we're all a nation of immigrants. I'm not. I was, I was born in the United States of America. Now, I was born in California. It's probably going to be its own separate state one day. 
in God's mercy. But I'm just saying, I was born in California. I was born in the States, and, and I'm watching our, our open southern border, and I'm bothered by it. Now, before you blame Biden, before you point the finger at Biden and start blaming him, okay, which I just l- let's look at both sides of the aisle. Because the Republicans right now are doing a real good job at blaming the Democrats on the problem. But you know what the Republicans have not presented? A solution. What's your plan? Please don't say the wall. We see how well that turned out. Ooh, I just offended some in Trump. We trust people, didn't I? He didn't build the freaking wall and he didn't get Mexico to pay for it. And if he is your Messiah, God help us all. Okay, half clap. That's fine. But the other half, don't blame Biden because he doesn't really know about the wall, okay? I'm just, I'm just. Let me tell you the problem on both sides of the aisle right now. Let me tell you the problem on both sides of the aisle. And I want to say it in a way that everybody can understand it. On both sides of the aisle. Weak, pathetic leadership. Because some people are like, oh, we let the Republicans. Okay, they can't even elect a Speaker of the House right now. Their idea of success is kicking themselves in the balls over and over and over and over again. (laughs) I just, I didn't mean to say that, but... But that's about the best description I've heard in a while, right? <laughs> now, it goes back to the, to the love growing cold because some of you are like, I don't know how you're going to tie this in. Well, just stay with me for a second. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, the open southern border right now, it's not about people. It's about, it's about the product being brought across. We've got more fentanyl deaths occurring in America today than ever before. And that stuff's coming over our southern border. I'll talk to the wife of a police officer in a local county today that said they had five fentanyl overdoses last night. And then human trafficking. Nobody's talking about it. Because it's evidence that the love of most people have grown cold. Children, two, three, four, and five years old being sold into the sex slave industry. And we talk a lot about slavery 100, 200, 300 years ago, but nobody's talking about the people suffering in slavery today. And there are more slaves in the world today than there ever has been in the history of the world. But people don't want to talk about it because it's a $150 billion a year business. $150 $150 billion, I couldn't wrap my mind around that, so I broke it down in the math. That's $285,000 a minute. And it's evidence that the love of many have grown cold because I believe if we wanted to, we could put a stop to it. It's almost, I don't know, when you look at the condition of the world, it's almost like, it's almost like Jesus is showing us politics won't solve the problem. What will? Well, I'm so glad you asked because Jesus told us. He said in Matthew 24, verse 14, in this gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom, will be preached 
in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus said the church is going to rise. There, there is going to be an awakening. There is going to be a revival. There's going to be a time when the world understands that the church is not a lamb, the church is a lion that God wants to stand up and roar with the good news that there's a man named Jesus Christ that died on the cross that paid for our sins and in him we can find eternal life and abundant life. That's what God has called us to preach. Jesus said there's gonna be a great awakening and I see signs of that happening. I see things happening in churches now that, I mean, I mean, it's almost like the, the world tried to shut the church down a couple years ago and didn't succeed in the church. You, you've heard that churches are, are, are not growing, but man, I, we didn't get the memo because we're seeing people show up and we're seeing lives change. And, I, and we're just one of the many churches across the world that are seeing this. So I spoke to students this past Wednesday night and one of the main questions I got, and I've gotten this a lot from adults this week is, Pastor Pete, with all this going on, aren't you scared? Aren't you freaked out? Aren't you afraid? And I'm not, I'm actually excited. I'm gonna, now listen, I'm not selling all my belongings, going sitting on a hill waiting. I'm gonna live my life like I'm gonna live my life. And when Jesus comes back and takes me home, I hope, God, I hope it's by the end of this season. Cause I don't wanna go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl and play, <laughs> I'm just. But I'm not scared. And let me tell you why, I will tie it into football. Um, I was actually at the Orange Bowl January 1st, 1982 when Clemson beat Nebraska 22 to 15 and won the national championship. I know some of you were alive and some of you weren't even thought of. And I was also in Arizona in 2016 when they played Alabama the first time from the 2015 season for the national championship and Alabama beat Clemson. I was there for that game. The next year, I was watching it with some friends. I watched the first half with some friends and I watched the second half all by myself. And y'all, I'm fun to watch a football game with if Clemson is winning and if Clemson's not losing, I will walk out of the room because I'm gonna say some stuff that you don't need to hear me say as your pastor. I'm just gonna say it. I'm watching that last play. Clemson's marching down the field. We're down 31 to 28. Some of you, if you were watching that game, it doesn't matter if you're a Clemson fan or not, you remember this play right here. Deshaun Watson throws the ball to Hunter Renfro in the end zone with five seconds left. Let me pause real quick. This play right here, this guy right here, when he caught that ball, gave every short white guy hope that he could be a receiver one day. I'm gonna be a receiver. You're gonna be what? Anyway, I just... I remember watching that play, and if you, if you remember watching that play, you remember how nervous you were? You're like, Ugh! and he caught it, and man, I, I jumped up and I celebrated, my hands were in the air, and, and I, that was just great. That was just great. Now, if you're a Carolina fan, you're gonna have to take my word for it that this feels good. Um, you're just gonna have to take my word for it because you've never been there and you never will be, but just stay with me for just a, one more second. The other day I was on YouTube and I was looking up some stuff and I was doing a little stuff and I came across the, the clip from this play again. And I clicked play and I watched it, but I wasn't nervous. And I wasn't nervous because I'd already seen what was gonna happen. I already knew we win. 
And the reason I'm not nervous when it comes to the end of time is because I've read the book of Revelation and we win. We are on the winning team. We serve a risen Savior. And Jesus, the, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that we don't have to have fear. We can have faith knowing that if God is there, it's going to be good. He said, he said in Romans 8, 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. He said in 1 John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children, and you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. We have every reason to be thankful. We have every reason to celebrate. We have every reason to raise our hands in victory because Jesus Christ is Lord. And if he lives in us, we're on the winning team. Give him a round of praise. And let's pray tonight, Jesus. I wanna thank you that tonight we may not know what exactly heaven is like, but we know who is there. You are there. And that means everything about it is good. And for those in the room tonight that you've prayed, you've received Christ into your life, you know Jesus lives in you. You've been forgiven for your sin. You've been made brand new. You've given your life to Jesus. Just right where you stand, just thank him for saving you tonight. Thank him for changing your life. Thank you. Thank him for the fact that you don't have to walk in fear. You can walk in faith. And for those here tonight that have never prayed to receive Christ, Jesus brought you here tonight. I believe this with all my heart so you can hear this message and so you could give your life to him. I'm going to challenge you right where you stand tonight to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and if you want to give your life to Jesus, I said I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about the, the words. It's just the way that we give our lives to Christ is through prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud, but not alone, because everybody around you here at Second Chance, we're going to pray this prayer with you so you'll know you're stepping into a relationship with Jesus supported by so many people in this room. So if you're here tonight and you know you need to pray to receive Christ, you pray this with me at Second Chance Fam. Let's pray it with them. Say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the dead to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I declare you as Lord. Come into my life and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room. If you prayed that prayer tonight and you asked Jesus to do your life, I want you to listen. I want to pray with you. I don't want to pray for you because you just made the best decision in your life. So if you prayed to receive Christ right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, will you do me a favor and hold your hand up high? Would you just raise your hand and leave it high? Raise your hand and leave it high. Raise your hand and leave it high. Raise it and leave it high. Leave them high all over the room. Uh, amen. Keep them up. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see everybody so I can pray for you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. God, I want to thank you for the hands in the air tonight. God, I want to thank you that you saved people tonight.
God, I want to thank you that there's somebody here tonight. God, this word is so strong. There's somebody here tonight, and you prayed to receive Christ, and you didn't raise your hand, and that's okay. Because before you go to sleep tonight, you're going to tell somebody that you received Christ. You're going to tell somebody that loves you and cares about you very much that you prayed that prayer. And it's going to be powerful. And I can't wait to hear that story. You didn't raise your hand. You're like, I'm going to make it out of here. But you know what? God's not going to let you go to sleep tonight until you tell that person, hey, tonight I gave my life to Christ. Jesus, we love you. We declare that your word is true. We confess that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that there is no one greater and there is no one higher. And as followers of you, Jesus, we don't walk as victims. We walk in victory. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Did you have fun at church tonight? Man, I love you guys. I'm so glad y'all came. We'll see y'all back next Sunday.